You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Wow, worship was off the charts today. That was so good. Wow, it was so good. Thank you guys for doing such a great job serving us. We appreciate our worship team, and we're just so glad you're here the week after Easter. We just love you guys, and so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Danny, if you're new to Bayshore, and uh, my deal is to teach the word here, so we're so glad that you're here this morning. And I want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus right now. Would you give the Fenwick Island campus a big hand? Awesome, awesome. The Family Gallant Campus is going through a, uh, an upgrade right now, facility upgrade. You can see some pictures here of what's recently been done as they come into their entrance there. And the congregation is really growing down there and doing well. Pastor Chase is doing such a great job, and Callie and Joel and Brigitte and the team and all the volunteers there. So we've been able to do a great upgrade there. And so when you go on Route 54, you see the campus there. It's just the whole outside has been redone and uh, really, really doing amazing. And our Rehoboth campus is in an above-ground campaign, and that campus has raised uh, over half a million dollars now for their, uh, for their new uh, uh, facility upgrade there. So it's doing so well. Well, we're so glad you're here, and if you're watching online, I want to say hello to you, and uh, I meet people every week that watch online, or almost every week talk to people. We're so grateful that you're watching us, and you're part of this experience this weekend at Bayshore. The best way to experience Bayshore is being here, but if you're watching online, we're so glad you're with us today, and we're starting a new series today called Survivor, and uh, this series is going to be, it's not really on the, the TV show CBS Survivor, although I love that show. Karen and I watch that regularly. We probably watch 30 or 35 seasons of that show. And I know Chase and Callie at the Rehoboth campus are big Survivor fans. This series is about the first and second book of Thessalonica in the New Testament, Thessalonians. And uh, if you know anything about the, the church of Thessalonica, it was a church that started and there was just a, a few weeks that Paul got to be with them. We have recorded that he was only with them three weeks, started the church, God was moving, then he was chased out of the town uh, from persecution and had to leave them as infant Christians. So how did they survive and what happened to this church? I'm going to be talking about uh, the book of First and Second Thessalonians and how God instructed these, these churches, uh, this particular church, in hard times, how they survived and how they actually didn't just survive, but they thrived. So we're going to be talking about First and Second Thessalonians. Some great stuff in there. Um, we're talking about the second coming a little bit. That's in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. So some good stuff in this study. So, uh, but to begin, we don't start in First Thessalonians. We start in the book of Acts because in the book of Acts we get the story of how the church was created. And let me read it to you. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. So this is when the church was born. So in order for us to understand First and Second Thessalonians, we've got to go back to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, you know, a lot of the uh, churches that Paul wrote to, like the, the letter of uh, Philippians, the church was started in chapter 16 of Acts. Thessalonians, the church was started in, uh, that church was started in 17. Chapter 18 of Acts, the church of Corinth was born. So in order to understand those letters, you've got to understand the origins of the birth of the church. So Acts 17, verses 1 through 15. 
When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters. Now the King James says, uh, lewd Men of the baser sort. You just got to love that. Lewd men of the baser sort. But the NIV says, rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. So this is the environment of this brand new church. A mob is around them. Uh, They rushed into Jason's house to search for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world, King James says, turn the world upside down. You've got to love that as well. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. As soon as it was night, Paul's leaving under the cover of night. It's too dangerous to leave in daytime. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to a Jewish synagogue. And we'll stop there. And uh, later on in this chapter, the people from Thessalonica that were upset with Paul followed him to Berea to cause trouble again. So in this, uh, in this chapter, we have the birth story of the church of Thessalonica. This was how the church was born. All of us here today... We have a uh, physical birth story. We have some details about where we were born, how we were born, what time we were born. I was born October 27, 1957 in Nanticoke Hospital in Seaford. My dad was there, of course. My mom was there, my mom and I together. And uh, so the doctor said to my dad, hey, there's no need to stay. You know, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So he went home and went to bed. And in the middle of the night, I was born. And he came in the next day and had me. So uh, that was my birth story. And uh, how many were born in Delaware? If you were born in Delaware, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were born in Delaware. How how many were born in Maryland? Just raise your hand. People born in Maryland. How many were born outside of the country? You were born internationally. Raise your hand if you were born internationally. Okay, that's interesting. So we all have a birth story, uh, how we were born. Churches have birth stories as well, how churches began. Every church has a birth story. When I was a freshman in high school, maybe, a, uh, maybe almost a, a sophomore, my dad was a Methodist pastor. He served at the Methodist church in Blades, Delaware, a little Methodist church there. I'm sitting in the choir one day, and my dad gets in the pulpit, and my dad said, this would be our last Sunday here. Uh, we are starting a new church in town here. And uh, I was in the choir. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know we were going to be homeless that week. I didn't know that was going to happen. And the next week, 1974, uh, it was February 1974, my dad started a brand new church in Seaford, uh, Delaware. Uh, and he couldn't find any place to rent, so he rented a funeral home. 
And it was called Gruel Funeral Home on Shipley Street in Seaford. It's now called Cranston Funeral Home. My dad moved in there to start that church. And on the first Sunday, we had 71 people. 71 people on the first Sunday in a funeral home to start a church. And we didn't have a piano player. But my sister, who was 12 years old, had been taking piano lessons. And we had a little, little mini piano. And she had some piano lessons, but she couldn't play. And ironically... Ironically, this is no, you know, fabrication here. She was miraculously anointed to begin to play the piano on that first Sunday of my dad's church. And every Sunday, we had worship there. We went from 71 to 100 to 120. It kept growing. And there was rumors around town that there's more people coming out than went in. We were raising people from the dead. You know, there are more people going, coming out than went in. I'm telling you, that's something strange about that church. So that's good, that's good buzz, you know, so that was really good. But uh, it's a wonderful journey. My dad, of course, told pastors that church. They built a facility in Laurel and uh, all of that. So it's a wonderful birth story, a birth story of a church. I remember, you know, uh, this church was born out of the Methodist church. It was a Methodist church in town here. There still is a Methodist church in town. A bunch of people in 1977 said they didn't like, you know, what was going on in the Methodist church. And we're not slinging, you know, mud at the Methodist church today. But they didn't like what was going on. So they started this church in 1977. And they called me a few years later. But uh, I remember when we started the Rehoboth uh, campus 10 years ago, 10 years ago, and uh, we went down there. Actually, I was with the staff on a, a retreat in the Outer Banks. All of our staff were down there, and I, I got a call from Brittany Donahue, who was a, is a pretty well-known realtor, and I had told her we were looking for a place in Rehoboth, and she said, we found this little basement, and we'd like to, you know, talk to you about that, and so uh, we came back, and we looked at that place, and I took the board of directors there. We went to Rehoboth, and we had our very first meeting. We have a picture of our first meeting here in Rehoboth, and just folding chairs there. It wasn't renovated, uh, and it was just just a mess. I mean, it was just terrible. We had a baby, 90 people there that night. We prayed over that facility. I preached a message, and then we started having services on Sunday night, and here's some pictures of Sunday night services we had there, and I would preach on Sunday nights. And then for about three years, we just kind of went sideways, sideways. Didn't have enough money, uh, and uh, board meetings at the end of the year, every year we'd say, boy, I don't know if we're going to make it another year. And then, of course, my son, Joel, who is the, uh, was the church administrator then, he has an MBA, so he's a, he's a, a business guy. And uh, the Lord tapped him on the shoulder. I never saw Joel as a preacher. I didn't think he was going to be a preacher. I didn't think, he had, I didn't think that was his, his, his gift mix. And uh, so Joel started preaching down there. He was scared to death, but he started preaching. And that church started growing. And uh, last Sunday on Easter, they had 383 people there in that, in that little basement there. And uh, 167 people in the first service, and a bunch of people in the second service. And people all over town are talking about the Rehoboth campus, what's going on down there. So it's got a beautiful, beautiful uh, birth story to that church. And they are, we're looking at land and great things are going to happen in Rehoboth. How many know that God loves the east side of this campus? County. He loves Rehoboth, he loves Dua Beach, he loves Lewis, he loves that area, and we as Bayshore are called to press in and to do some great things in that community. So uh, four years ago, we started the church in Fenwick Island, and uh, 
Uh, we had uh, just wonderful things happening there with Pastor Chase and Callie, and um, they had about 150 people last weekend doing really well. Here's a picture of our first worship service. How many people, anybody in this auditorium that were at our first worship, night of worship at the Fenwick Island campus? Some of you were there for that. It was incredible. So this is, this is a birth story. Birth stories of how churches start. Now when we read Acts chapter 17, we get a picture of how this, this, this church started. Paul comes from this place called Philippi. He's on his second missionary journey. And he's, you know, the pattern for Paul is he goes into the city. He preaches in a synagogue. People get upset and they chase him out of town. He leaves the church there. So he's leaving Philippi because of some persecution. He's been in jail in Philippi. He's been beat. And listen, just think about this. Paul, you know, if you read uh, in chapter 16, Paul has been beaten and he's been thrown in jail. So he has whip stripes on his back. And he's not quitting. He's preaching the gospel. He and Silas leave Philippi and they walk 100 miles a hundred miles to the, church, to the place of Thessalonica where there is no church. A city of about 200,000 people. So he, he walks and he's, you know, he's wounded. He's bloody. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's been abused. He's probably got a black eye. His lips are probably swollen. You know, Silas is limping along. And they're limping along the Via Ignatia, which is a Roman road. The Romans made all of these roads throughout the Roman Empire. And, uh, and so do you know why they made those Roman roads? The whole Roman Empire was filled with roads. you know why they made those roads? They made those roads because God had in mind that he was going to put the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel all through that, that empire. Now, now, they didn't think they were doing it for Paul. They felt that they were going to be able to put these roads everywhere so they could mobilize their armies quickly to get to different regions to keep peace in the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana. That's what they thought they were doing. But God had in plan for technology way back then. How many know that email and technology has been invented for the church to use and everybody else gets to use it for just, just for fun? How many know that God, God has set up all this stuff so we can get the gospel out? So Paul, he's walking on the Via Ignatia. And that road is still there. You can still go and you can find some of that ancient roads there. Paul's walking and he comes to this place called Apollonia. He comes to this city. Now, why doesn't he stop in Apollonia and preach the gospel? There's lost people in Apollonia. Why didn't he do that? Then he goes to another city that sounds about like that first city, and he passed right by that too, and it didn't stop there as well. Why didn't he stop there? Aren't there lost people everywhere? Shouldn't you try to win everybody? Well, here was Paul's strategy. Paul had a strategy. He was going to go to the biggest cities of the empire, and he was going to reach the biggest cities of the empire, and from those big cities, the gospel would go out and it would infiltrate the whole Roman Empire. What was the last city he went to? The last city he went to was Rome. Rome was the last big city Paul went to. So his strategy was reach the cities, reach the empire. Reach the cities, reach the empire. So he had probably that written in his Bible, you know, and he would open his Bible, his little motto for life, reach the cities, reach the empire. But he didn't stop at, a, uh, at these two little towns on the way. And they were okay sized towns, but they weren't the big cities. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. Listen, we aren't called to reach everybody, but we're called to reach somebody. Nobody is called to reach, uh, everybody's called to reach somebody, then nobody's called to reach everybody. 
How many know that there are certain people that God has called you to meet, reach for the Lord? There, everybody sitting here this morning, there's some people that you know, some people that you're connected to, some people you have a relationships with, and you are called by God to share the gospel with them and reach those people for the kingdom of God. Now, there's two models of churches today. Uh, when you talk to ecclesiologists, people that study the church, they say that you have what is called an attractional model church where you have wonderful, beautiful services with wonderful things and people are attracted to come to that church. Then there's what are called missional churches. Missional churches are where people in the pew, people sitting in the padded chairs, believe that there are missionaries to go into the community to share the gospel with other people. Now, what kind of church are we? Are we an attractional model church? Uh, are we a missional model church? Now, I think we're trying to do both things, which I think is very good. I think you need to have an attractional church where you, on the, on, during the week, when you meet your friends and you talk to your friends and you tell them about your church, how you're excited about your church, when they come to church on Sunday, they're blown away by this wonderful worship and the handsome preacher that preaches later on. <laughs> so this is the attractional model. It's a good thing. But listen, the, the kingdom of God is bigger than just inviting people to church. It's you telling people about Jesus, what Jesus has done in your life. And, uh, you know, I know during the Easter week, becoming before Easter, we had those gift, uh, those invite cards. Uh, every Sunday or, or every week coming into Easter, me and I had those cards in my tennis bag. I had those cards in my, in my truck, and I'm inviting people. I woke up one morning. I mean, I woke up, and as I woke up, it was like the week before Easter, maybe on Tuesday. I think No, it was actually on a Monday. I woke up, and there was a woman's name in my head that I was supposed to invite to church on Easter. And, uh, and I just was happened to go to see her that day at the tennis club. And so she was, uh, you know, she's not a believer. She, she makes it very clear she's not a believer. But I tell you what, I knew I woke up that morning with that woman. I mean, I wasn't thinking about her. I wasn't thinking about people at the tennis club when I went to sleep. I woke up, and it's like the Lord just <laughs> pat me on the shoulder. You invite her. You invite her. So after we got done playing tennis with a bunch of people, I walked over to the car and I gave her, and I talked to her about our church and I gave her an invitation. And I just remember her standing in the parking lot just looking, looking at that invitation. And, uh, and I invited several other people. I invited the guy I played with tennis with on Thursday, Thursday afternoon. And he said, uh, well, I appreciate your invitation, but I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. I said, well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, we're all about, you know, I love the Old Testament. We had a wonderful conversation. I said, are you Orthodox or what kind of Jew are you? He said, I am a Reformed Jew. I said, what's the difference between Orthodox and Reformed? He said, shorter services. That's what he said, shorter services. <laughs> I said, well, you probably like our church. You know, we have shorter services ourselves, you know. But, you know, listen, we are called by God to tell people about Jesus. When you think about Paul, Paul is, you know, remember he's beaten up, he's bloody, and he's walking 100 miles down an old uh, Roman road to go to a city that he doesn't know anybody, and he goes in the synagogue, and for three weeks he reasons with them. He reasons with them about the gospel. What's he doing? He says he's trying to prove to them. This text says he's trying to prove to them that the Messiah had to suffer, which is the big hang-up. So I'm sure he went to Isaiah 53. Now, you read Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes were healed. You know, and, and you read Isaiah 53. And the Jewish people believe that that speaks of the suffering of Israel. 
And when you read, you can read Isaiah and you get in the center of Isaiah and it's really interesting. The Jewish people think it's talking about Israel's suffering. But when you get to Isaiah 53, I'm telling you, it describes in great detail what happened to Jesus on the cross. And I'm sure he went to Psalm 22 where it says that, 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 that he would be betrayed, the Messiah would be betrayed and he would be pierced. He would be pierced. Jesus was crucified. This is Psalm 22, probably a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus, talks about, uh, about the Messiah being pierced. And he had his hands pierced, and his feet pierced. And what's the last thing happened to him before he died? A, a sword pierced his side. And it says in the book of Revelation, they were look on those whom, whom they pierced. Do you realize when Psalm 22 was written, crucifixion was not even invented yet? It was invented later by the Persians. So I don't know what David thought he was writing when he thought about he would be betrayed. The one I, eat, I have eaten bread with has lifted up his heel against me. Remember, Judas was talking with Jesus there at the Last Supper. He's sharing bread. And David wrote a thousand years before that the one I've shared bread with me has lifted up its heel against me and betrayed me. So you see this wonderful picture. So I'm sure Paul... He's in, the, he's in the synagogue, and he's reasoning with them. Now, the word reason is dialogomai. Now, we get our word dialogue from, there, from that. He's dialoguing with them. He's letting them ask questions, and they're, they're raising their hand, and, and they're debating with him. And, and it's not just like preaching. You've got to believe it by faith. You've got to believe it by faith. Just hope it's true. He's not saying that. He's reasoning with them that, listen, this was predicted, and here's what happened to Jesus. And he's explaining, and he's dialoguing with them, so they're communicating. You know, sometimes we need to have venues in our church that just aren't people listening to preaching, but we need to have venues where people can dialogue and talk about, their, about things they're trying to understand. And that's very important. We have a wonderful class uh, in our Femic Island campus on, on the basis of faith now where people are talking about things. And it's controversial sometimes, but there's important place for that, a very important place for that that we do that. There's a guy that uh, Karen and I went to uh, New York City a few years ago, and we went to hear a guy named Tim Keller who started a church in New York City in that very liberal, liberal. How many know New York, New York City is a bit liberal? He went to New York City, started this church, thousands of people he was reaching. Here's how he did it. He would preach on Sunday morning, and after he get done preaching, they, he would walk down on the first, uh, first level of the floor there, and people could ask him questions about what they didn't believe. If they didn't believe in certain thing he was preaching on, they would, he would deal with questions that they had. So Paul, he reasoned with them for three weeks, for three weeks. It takes time to reach certain people. You've got to reason with them. And so Paul is sharing the gospel. Let me just say this to you. You are called by God to share the gospel with other people. You're not just called by God to come to church. You're not called by God just to sit here and listen to me preach every Sunday, which I am so grateful you do. It really is wonderful. But you are called by God to share Jesus with other people. Uh, I'm taking a class right now, and I had to uh, have some of you participate in this uh, little study I did. It's, uh, it's a Likert scale, a Likert scale where you ask, you know, most of the time, you ask a question, they answer most of the time, some of the time, uh, not sure, never, absolutely never. And the questions were about our faith, and about 20 people took this, cl- took this Likert scale from, uh, from our church. And one of the questions was, was, do you go to church regularly? Do you read your Bible every day? Do you realize that only 18%, 18%, 
Only 18% of believers read their Bible every day. That's less than 2 out of 10. 18%. And listen to this, 23% of believers never read their Bible. 23% of believers never read their Bible. That's one in four believers never read their Bible. But one of the questions was, uh, you go to church, you read your Bible, do you share your faith with other people? Do you share your faith with other people? And when I, when I took the liquor scale myself, that was the lowest mark for me. And a lot of times we don't, aren't telling people about Jesus, and we're not sharing our faith. And, we're, and here's the thing about it. The more introspective our churches become, the more toward the attractional model where we make it about come to church and see what we're doing, and that's the only thing we do, the more empty we are becoming. When we share the gospel, we're filled up. When we share the gospel, we're fulfilled. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well uh, in, in John chapter 4? How many have watched the series The Chosen? Have you watched the series of The Chosen? If you haven't watched The Chosen, you need to go home. Like, you probably leave right now. Just go watch The Chosen. It's very good. And The Chosen's got this, the end of uh, season one, is Jesus ministering at the woman at the well. And this woman's had all these husbands, and she's lived this immoral life. And, and the disciples have gone into Sychar, into, into Samaria, to get some food. And Jesus has been sharing with her about the gospel, about living water, about eternal life. And, and they come back to Jesus, the disciples, and they got bread. And they say to Jesus, they say to Jesus, uh, hey, we've got some food here. Here's something. You can, you can get something to eat now. Listen to what Jesus says. She says, I have food that you know not of. I am fulfilled. I'm not hungry because... I've just been sharing the gospel and telling the gospel with other people. We're anxious, we're depressed, we're lonely, we're confused because we have become totally inward as believers. The more we reach out, the more we tell other people about Jesus, the more fulfilled we become. So if we're struggling in our Christian life, you know, uh, I recently, you know, had, uh, I've had lunch with different people struggling in their faith and all that. And one of the things I think that's true of all of us when we struggle in our faith is we have become introspective and not reaching out to other people. Everybody is called to reach somebody. Nobody's called to reach everybody. Who are you called to reach? Who are you called to reach? When you get to heaven... Who's going to run up to you and say, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't told me. Every, uh, every December 7th, my friend, high school friend, Sammy Fisher, who's just got back from India. He's been in India doing mission work and all that. And uh, Sammy Fisher, uh, when we were ninth grade in high school, I had the privilege of telling him about Jesus. And I told him about Jesus one week and another week. And for months, I told him about Jesus. And one day, we're, we're out uh, walking. We're out, we had been playing Sandlot football in Blades, where my dad was the pastor. And we're walking by the Methodist church there. And we're all covered with dry grass where we've been playing tackle football and with all these kids in the neighborhood. And we got our, our beanies on. And it's got dry grass everywhere. And Sammy looked at me and said, today's the day. And I said, what do you mean today's the day? He said, today's the day that I want to receive Jesus. And we walked in that Methodist church, took our beanies off, walked down the middle of the aisle, and uh, we 
got down on her knees, and I, I'm not very, I wasn't much of a theologian in those days. I, we just prayed, and I led Sammy in the sinner's prayer, prayer, and he found Jesus, and we hung on to each other all through high school when everybody's smoking and drinking and doing all the stuff. We're just hanging on to each other, hanging on to Jesus, winning more people to the Lord and sharing the gospel with more people. But every December 7th, Sammy Fisher calls me on the phone. He said, hey, Danny, I want to thank you for telling me about Jesus. And he's telling all these other people about Jesus. Here's the deal. Nobody's called to reach everybody, but everybody's called to reach somebody. So here, you reach somebody, and that somebody's supposed to reach somebody, and the person they reach is supposed to reach somebody, and everybody reaches somebody, and that somebody reaches somebody else, and that somebody reaches somebody else. It's like the dominoes. One person's reach, and you just touch and touch other people. So what's happened to many of us, and I know what's happened to me, is I've become so, so churched, so living in the church, that I become so like about just church stuff. And God is calling us to reach out and share the gospel with other people. And some of you are saying right now, you know what? You know what? I believe people don't want a religious fanatic. They don't want somebody telling them about Jesus all the time. They don't want somebody like always, you know, sharing the gospel with them. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to live a good life and people are going to see my good life and they're going to come to Jesus. That is such a great theory, but that is not what the gospel is. And it's not what the Bible teaches. This class I'm taking right now, I'm reading a book and the book talks about this one guy that became a Christian. When he became a Christian, he was so excited he told his boss, and his boss said, well, I've been a Christian for years. And he said to his boss, he said, you're the reason I never became a Christian. Because you, now here's what he said, because you live such a good moral life, I thought you could live a good moral life without actually knowing Jesus. See, our life, we need to live a good life, and we need to couple that with sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. There's three ways you need to share the gospel with other people. And to be a missional church plus an attractional church. Attractional churches, we have these great services where you can bring people to the church with you. But you can bring people to church, and that's very much what we do as a church. That's what we're called to do. But you also can tell people about Jesus before they come to church. And there's something Really exciting when you invite somebody to church, you feel really wonderful. But when you tell somebody the gospel and you tell them about Jesus, you have fulfillment and food to eat that you knew not of. Why was Paul and Silas able to sing in Acts chapter 16 after they've been beaten by the Roman authorities? How could they sing? Even though they're their hearts are so full of joy because they've shared the gospel. They've shared the gospel. Here's three ways to share the gospel. First of all, Tell your story. Tell your story. Everybody has a story about how you found Jesus. Maybe you were all mixed up and you're having trouble in your marriage and somebody invited you to church and you came to church and you heard the gospel and you got saved. Or maybe a friend had, uh, you know, had you over for coffee and they told you about the Lord. How did you find the Lord? How did you find the Lord? Tell your story. So just think about it. Here's the thing. Listen to this. Three times in the book of Acts, three times in the book of Acts, Paul told his testimony. So everybody has a testimony. If you know Jesus, you have a testimony. You say, well, you know, I never like robbed a bank or wasn't part of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. And my testimony is boring. Maybe your testimony is kind of like mine. I was, I, I was drugged to church. You know, I was on drugs when I was a kid. I was drugged to church, drugged to church on Sunday morning. 
Wednesday, Sunday night, I just, I was drug, I had a drug problem, you know. <laughs> but I didn't really know Jesus until I was 12 years old. My dad got saved, and uh, he got saved. We, he made us all go to church, and I'm sitting in the, uh, I'm sitting in the Nazarene church on Sunday night, and uh, Carrie Persinger sitting next to me. They're having testimonies, giving testimonies. He said, give a testimony. I stood up and gave a testimony. I didn't even have a testimony. I wasn't even saved. I just said, hey, I love the Lord. He loves me. That was the first thing I said. That was all. I, and I didn't even know the Lord. But that one Sunday night, Jack Burbage was preaching, and my dad, man, he, we went on Sunday night to the Nazarene because the Methodists had enough on Sunday morning. So we just went to Nazarene, too. They wanted to do more. So we went, and, and one Sunday night, Jack Burbage is preaching the gospel, and my heart was just beaten. And I'm just a 12-year-old sinner, little sinner boy. And I went up forward, and I invited Jesus into my heart, and Jesus came into my life, and he changed me. And I've been different ever since. And I'm not perfect, but I've been changed by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's my little story. Now, you have a story. Some of you, you know, you were like, you, got, you were like running a tattoo parlor, and you were robbing banks and all that. Your testimony fits somebody. Everybody's testimony is like a key. It fits certain people. So make sure you tell your story. When's the last time you told somebody your story about how you met Jesus? First thing, tell your story. Second thing, op- walk through open doors. Walk through open doors. When God opens a door for you, walk through the door. So the other day, I'm playing tennis with this engineer, this retired engineer. He's my age. We had a really good match. He's a really good tennis player. We play every Thursday. And he's telling me in between change and how he's been, he's been studying. He's kind of an intellectual kind of guy. He said, I've been, I've been studying about why there's two different tides you know, the moon affects the tides. Why, do we don't just, why don't we just have one tide? And he had this whole thing. I didn't understand a thing he was saying. But I'm like going along and said, that is so interesting. You know, and, uh, and so I'm talking to him. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. He said, he said, say something about how wonderful the universe is. And I, I said, you know what? I said his name. And I said, you know, when I think about the universe, you're talking about the moon. I mean, it, what amazes me is how our planet is in the perfect position in the universe to have the right amount of sun and the right amount of carbon dioxide and the right amount of oxygen and the right temperature that we can live on this planet. It's called the Goldilocks zone. I said, that's just amazing. And I said, when I look at a snowflake and I see the the symmetry symmetry in a snowflake, the the water molecules make a picture. There's a designer behind all this. And we just had this conversation, and he said, well, I'm not sure about all that. And, but I just shared him, and, you know, and, and uh, he was just wonderful conversation. But here's the thing about open door. Maybe somebody says something, and the, the Lord taps you on the shoulder. Maybe they talk about they're afraid of dying or whatever. Great opportunity. Or somebody's sick and just passed away. You can talk about, oh, boy, I'm, I'm, I know that life is short, and I'm glad I have a, you know, I'm ready for what's going to happen after this. But listen, when you have an open door, here's important. Walk through it quickly. Because if you think about it too long, the door closes and you lose your courage. So when I was talking to that guy the other day, uh, and he brought up the moon thing, I, it was not like, you know, I didn't see that coming. The Lord tapped me on the shoulder, and I walked in before I even thought about it. And then the, we had this wonderful conversation. So walk through open doors. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to pray for open doors this week. That God will give you an open door where you can share the gospel with somebody. An open door. And uh, be on the lookout. Because during this series, I believe God is going to give us open doors. People that haven't shared their faith in years are going to begin to share their faith. And if you share your faith, you're going to begin to enjoy your faith. If you share your faith, you're going to begin to be fulfilled. You're going to have food 
that people don't know of. You're going to have contentment. The reason, and I, there's nothing, don't, please don't take me wrong on this, I don't have any trouble, and I'm going to preach on anxiety, preach on depression, teach, preach on practical things and all that, but the reason we have to talk about that so much in our modern churches is because we have become inward focused and we're not sharing the gospel. We share the gospel, a lot of depression disappears, a lot of our sadness disappears, a lot of our confusion disappears because we have food to eat of, we have fulfillment that we know not of. You are born, and I am born to share the gospel. You are a missionary. You say, well, I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. I work at a store. That is what God uses to support you while you do mission work. Now, I think you, obviously, when you're working, make sure you're, you're doing your job and you're not preaching on, on, the, on your boss's dollar. Make sure you do your job, whatever that is. But you're a missionary. Say this with me. I am in full-time ministry. I just have to work, get a paycheck. It's no difference between you and I. My job is to teach you to do ministry. A missional church is everybody thinks that they're in mission work to do the work of the Lord. So share your story. Uh, walk through open doors. Uh, this last one, treat unbelievers like believers. Treat unbelievers like believers. One of my best friends is not a Christian. He's really one of my best friends. And he, uh, I tell him anything. I mean, I'm totally honest, transparent with him about everything. But he doesn't know Christ, and I see him every week. We play tennis together. And when I'm sitting with him, I talk to him about, man, I was reading this neat Bible verse the other day. The Lord really spoke to me about this. Or Karen and I are praying about this. I treat him like he's already Christian. And see, the worst thing you can do in sharing your faith is put on a salesman hat. You're talking about normal things, the weather, and about, you know, the Orioles and never winning, and you're talking about all this stuff, and you're just talking, and then, oh, I should witness, and so you put on your hat, and you become this weird, uh, you know, pyramid, you know, salesman, you know. That's not, that's not the gospel. I hate people that do that. I was walking through Lowe's yesterday. There was some salesman in there trying to sell a guy a lawnmower, and I could see the people trying to get away from him. This guy was in a salesman mode. It's not salesmanship. It's being real. It's let Jesus live through you and having regular conversations. You know, if you've got friends, they don't know you're a Christian. Let them know you're a Christian. Hey, get it out there. Come out of the closet. And then just start living your life and being honest about your faith. So Paul went to Thessalonica where there weren't any Christians. There wasn't one Christian when he got in town. And then he met Jason Led Jason to the Lord. Jason, we don't even know who Jason was. I think Jason had a Verbo house. I think he had a bed and breakfast that, that, that Paul and Silas rented. And while they're signing the papers and they're having breakfast the next morning, he told Jason about Jesus. And Jason got, he found Jesus. He quit charging them and they were living there free. That's just, that's not in the text at all, but that's what I'm going with. But there's something incredibly exciting about sharing the gospel. What is a real church? A real church is a church that has, has full of people that have met Jesus. And they're so excited about Jesus that they just tell it organically and naturally. Here's the thing as I close. You always talk about what you're excited about. You always talk about what you're excited about. 
I talk about tennis all the time because I love it. I just tell about it all the time. And if we're not talking about Jesus, it's because we need a personal revival. We need the Lord to do something fresh in our heart so we're excited about him again. And it may start with sharing about him, and as we share about him, we become more excited about him, and we just are able to talk about that. You always talk about what you're excited about, and when I'm not telling people about Jesus, it worries me because it means that I may not be as excited about Jesus as I should be. When I was, uh, I had a good friend that after high school, he went to Salisbury University to get a communication degree, and he's a really smart guy. And uh, he had to take a speech class. And he was a Christian, but I think when he got to college, he got waning a little bit, you know, in his faith. And so he's taking speech 101. You have to take that 101 and a couple speech classes, and I had to take a couple of them. And so when you take those classes, you have to give speeches. And he was real excited, real excited about uh, saltwater aquariums. He had aquariums, and he knew everything about it. Real scientific kind of guy, real smart guy. And so he gave his first speech on saltwater aquariums at Salisbury University. And he gave his speech, and it was so good, like three or four people went out and got saltwater aquariums. And he said, you know what really bothered me? Is I was more excited about saltwater aquariums than I was about Jesus. And he said, Lord, I want to be more excited about you than I'm excited about anything else in my life. What needs to happen to Bayshore at Fenwick Island, at Millsboro, and Rehoboth, and online, our online family. We need to be a people that are energized with love for Jesus, that we talk about Jesus so organically and so wonderfully that people may get saved before they ever come to church. They get saved out there, they come here and get discipled. Sometimes they come here, they get saved, and we disciple them. Sometimes you're going to bring people here that you have led to the Lord and you're going to bring them here, and they're already going to be Christians when they get here. Because that is a missional church, and that, what, that is what we're called to do. We're out of time. There's more stuff in this text, but we got a whole series to do, so we got time, okay? Let's raise our hands, and uh, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've been listening to this message, and you're hearing about this, and you don't know Jesus, you're just missing the most wonderful thing in your life, to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't take from you he gives to you your life doesn't get worse it gets better you may go through some trials but to know Jesus you're going to find what you've been looking for your whole life and if you don't know Jesus just right now you don't have to start, come up front to, after we sing 40 stanzas of just as I am right now as the Holy Spirit speaks to you right in the chair where you are the Holy Spirit can regenerate you and make you alive just lift up your hand and say Jesus be Lord of my life I believe that you died for my sins. I repent of my sins. I've sinned against you. You're listening online. There's people listening online right now that need to receive Jesus. You're listening online. There's, there's a lady maybe in a, in, a, in a kitchen, sitting at the kitchen table right now, and you're empty and you're hopeless, and the Lord has come to give you life. Father God, we ask you to save people right now as they put their faith in you. We put our faith in you. Make you Lord of our life. And God, help us, those of us that are believers, this week. We pray for open doors. Give us courage. The apostles had to pray for courage in Acts. They prayed, Lord, give us boldness. If they had to pray for boldness, we got to pray for boldness. Lord, we're scared. We're afraid. We're intimidated. 
Lord, we pray for boldness, that we'll preach the word and share the word with people, with our friends and our family and people that are around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Just say this with me. I am an agent of the Holy Spirit in this community. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.